welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome back to this study and this series on the book of Joshua. I'm excited. Uh, definitely the message for today has been kind of simmering, kind of percolating for a while. If you're here with us last week, uh, we had God do some just in, incredible things in our service, in uh, message of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and, and uh, just a, a kind of a, a challenge to come to the Lord. And, also a challenge for some prayer time and praying for many of the different needs in our body and uh, just had a great time of spending it in His presence. We didn't get to the message, and so we gave you an assignment for today. So as any good teacher would, you got to follow up on the assignments now. How many of you can honestly say you fulfilled the assignment? You read Joshua chapter 9, and you studied, you came up with a handful of thoughts or principles about how to find, how to determine God's will. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Oh, we got a handful. The rest of you, you might need to be doing some extra credit work. I don't know. But we are excited about today. I'm looking forward to it. The title of the message is How to Know God's Will. But before we get to that, let me ask you a question. Do you remember where you were on Thursday, July 8th, 2010? Almost seven years ago to the day. The entire world, but most specifically, the state of Ohio was holding its breath because of this guy, LeBron James. The whole world was waiting to see where he would sign, which team he would go to to play ball. He, of course, was from the Akron area here in Ohio, drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers, spent the first seven years there, and became a free agent and entertained a number of other teams vying for his services. This morphed into, if you remember, a one-hour ESPN television special labeled The Decision. Nearly every channel, news channels, sports channels, everybody on the little crawl on the bottom of the screen was trying to give updates. So-and-so thinks LeBron's going to stay in Cleveland. So-and-so thinks he's going to this team. They were holding their breath as they waited to see what would happen. This one-hour special involved LeBron James in an interview uttering those famous words that we in Ohio have certainly come to know and understand when he said, I've decided to take my talents to South Beach. He left Cleveland. He left Ohio. He went to the Miami Heat Along with a, another couple of superstars, they went to the NBA Finals four years in a row, winning two of them. But four years later, which was nearly three years ago, he stunned the world again with his decision, as on the front page of Sports Illustrated, he said, I'm coming home. Seven years ago when he made the decision, this is what it looked like in Miami. They were celebrating. They were rejoicing because of his decision. While in Cleveland, the picture was a little different. LeBron James, his Cavalier jerseys were burned and thrown away in the trash. All of that based on one decision. 
Now, chances are pretty good none of us in this room are going to have the opportunity to make a decision like LeBron's. Which city to live in to be paid millions and millions and millions of dollars for playing a game? We're probably not going to have that opportunity. But you know what? You and I, we face a lot of opportunities for decisions. It starts out certainly as a child into young adulthood, maybe after graduating high school, the choices and the decisions are, which school do I go to? What do I do after high school? Do I get a job and enter the workforce? Do I go and continue my education? If I do get a job, which job? If I do continue my education in, in a school, well, which one? And, and what major? And upon graduation, then where do I go for a job? There's questions about family. There's questions about meeting that special someone. How do I know? Where do I live? Where do I work? Finances, family, job situation. You and I have lots of different issues and choices and decisions. And then when life happens and circumstances pop up that we didn't anticipate, then the question is, now what? How do we know what to do? How do we know what choice to make, what decision to make? And in our day and age and culture, a lot of people turn to a lot of different places to get information. They'll open up the newspaper and turn to this section called horoscopes. For surely, that's going to have incredible wisdom. It's the same thing for everybody born during 30 days. How can it be wrong? Or people might grab one of these eight balls, magic eight balls, and ask it a question and shake it. and See what the answer holds. We have all different types of means and ways and opportunities to make a choice and to make a decision. But the question this morning is, how do you know God's will? That's what we're going to be looking at today, principles for discovering God's will. So hopefully you've at least identified where we're going, Joshua chapter 9. Some of you are already there, you've read it, you've got the points, and you're about ready to preach it. But we're going to jump into principles for discovering God's will. Again, just the, the recap the Israelites had been in captivity in Egypt. God brought them out of captivity, but led them to the wilderness for 40 years as they disobeyed God. In the wilderness, however, God did some mighty, mighty miracles, crossing the Jordan. God's now bringing them into the promised land and more and more mighty miracles as they surround the city of Jericho and conquer it through God's hand. They lose to Ai because of sin in the camp and then conquer them. And so we see Joshua as the leader of the Israelites. And we come to Joshua chapter 9. And this is the, the passage that we read last week to kind of get you prepared. Joshua chapter 1, the first number of verses. Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things... The kings in the hill country in the western foothills and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, 
Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. Again, here's the difference. There's a number of these lands and nations who they were going to come and wage war, but the Gibeonites, the people of Gibeon, had a different plan. It was a trick. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. So the question we left you with last week is, what would you do? And how would you know what to do? You and I were confronted with choices, with decisions each and every day. Now, what we're looking at as far as distinguishing, discerning, and following God's will, we're not talking about, okay, do I use Colgate or Crest? We don't necessarily need to go through all of these thoughts and principles. Just grab one and brush your teeth. It's good, right? Take care of your teeth. But many times, you and I, we have big situations and we're not sure what to do. We'd love to be able to understand or, or try to discover what God desires from us. That's kind of where these Israelites, Joshua and the Israelites were. The people of Gibeon came and said, make a treaty. Make this peace treaty with us. So how do we know God's will? What are a handful of principles that hopefully we can follow? Let's jump into the first one. And some of these are ones that maybe they've attempted or tried or been successful or half successful or maybe not successful at all with, and we're going to learn from their examples. Number one, ask questions. Always a good place to start. Ask questions. Look at verse 7 and 8. The Israelites said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us. So how can we make a treaty with you? Verse 8, we are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? I think one of the first good principles for you and I is simply to ask questions. Get some information, get some data, get some knowledge, get some resources about the situation, whether it's a financial situation, a, a relational situation, a job or school or housing situation, ask questions. Now, you see, they started out right. The Israelites asked a question, how can we make a treaty with you? Joshua followed up. He said, who are you and where do you come from? They started well, but as we're about to see, these were the last questions they would ask. We've got to ask good questions, hopefully ask the right questions, and, and maybe keep asking until we get some good information. How many of you understand that many times we give up before we get all the information? We'll ask a question, 
And then sometimes it's just to kind of go through the routine, but we really have our minds made up as to, yes, we want to do this, or no, we don't want to do this. So we ask a question, and then we just do what we want anyway. It's almost a little bit of what happened here with the Israelites. They started well. They started with some questions. The Israelites asked, how can we make a treaty? And Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, what does it matter? Why should it matter who they were or whether they lived near or far? Glad you asked. Jot down Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 10 to 18. You can check it out later. I'll summarize a few of these verses, and then I'll read the last few verses. Deuteronomy 20, verses 10 through 18. Basically, these are the instructions before they've gotten to this point. And these are the instructions. You're going to approach a town... You're going to offer peace. If they agree, you make them your forced labor. If they refuse, you attack and destroy. These are the instructions for the distant towns. Those that were nearby in the land that God was giving to them, the instructions were a little different. Verses 16 through 18, he says, However, in the cities of the nations the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance... Do not leave anything alive that breathes. Completely destroy them. The Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. Now, this is always kind of that, that challenging portion of scripture as we're reading about the fact God's instructing them to wipe out sections and wipe out areas of people. And God gave the instructions there as the why. Otherwise, you'll follow all the detestable things. These lands, these nations, the things that they did, the sins that they were involved in, the sexual perversions they were involved in, the things that they did with their little babies, offering them in sacrifice in the fire to their gods, were reprehensible. God's saying, you are not to be a part of any of the things that they are a part of. You're to be holy and separate. And so there are these instructions for the lands that were far away, and the instructions for the ones that were nearby that God was bringing them in to conquer, they were to destroy. So Gibeon was nearby. They should have been destroyed. The Israelites asked a question. Joshua asked a question or two. Never really got the answer. If you, if you noticed, the Gibeonites kind of, they kind of beat around the bush. They didn't really answer the question. So we've got to... Ask some good questions. That's a struggle for us because how many of you love, love, love fine print and details? Not too many hands going up, right? How many of you have ever in your life, be honest now, you have ever signed a contract without reading every single word of that contract? It's pages. It's pages long. And maybe it's with a, a doctor, with a lawyer, with an attorney. Uh, maybe it's just something, uh, signing up for a cell phone. But just sign your life away, right? And they present you with pages of stuff, and they just say, sign here, here, and here. 
Because you're in a rush, you're like, okay, I trust you, and you sign, and you sign, and you sign. Many times, we don't read everything. We don't ask all of the questions. What is it that I'm signing? What does this say? Now, when you're dealing with a, a cell phone, and you're not reading the fine print or asking questions, well, there might be some issues that you've got to deal with as a result of that. But this is something a little bit more than a cell phone issue. This was a land, almost like a, a nearby nation, and Joshua and the Israelites begin to ask questions. They're trying to get a little bit of information, but they don't get the full details, and they stop without going any further. Maybe we've got doubts. Maybe we get distracted. We, we start to ask some good questions but we get distracted with other stuff going on and it just seems to be too hard to keep asking questions and getting information. Let's just get this over with. Fine, I'll buy this one. Now I'll buy this one. Whatever, we just make a choice. We just make a decision rather than getting all the information, rather than getting all of our questions answered. Or maybe, like I said, we've already got our minds made up. So I want to do this anyway. I don't really want to ask too many questions because then you... You might tell me something I really didn't want to know, and that's going to make me think no, but I already want to say yes. So I'll ask a couple questions. Don't find out any real red flags, so I say yes, because that's what I wanted to do all along, or no, whatever the case might be. For many different reasons, we convince ourselves asking questions isn't always important. I think for us, as we're trying to discover and understand the will of God, asking questions, accumulating some, some data, some information, giving us hopefully a, a good understanding of this issue is a great place to start. That's not the only thing. But that's a great place to start is asking questions. Secondly, I think we've got to use some wisdom. So here's how they answer verse 9. Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him and all that he did in Egypt, all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. Our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say, We are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new. But see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by our very long journey. We've got to use wisdom. In addition to asking questions, trying to get information, let's also use wisdom, the mind and heart and insights that God gives to us. And this is a a tricky thing, right? When we're talking about using wisdom and trying to kind of sense whether something is right or not, you and I probably struggle with this. We've had some different issues with this because no doubt you've been confronted by people with needs, either that you know or that you don't know, and you're thinking, how do I help? I'm asking some questions. Now I'm wanting to use some wisdom. I'll give you an illustration. You and I see out and about in some of the larger communities, men and women, 
at busy traffic lights with cardboard signs, right? And they hold up cardboard signs with all different uh, statements. Maybe they're a veteran or they're homeless or they're this or they're that. They need food. God bless. So now you're thinking, okay, is this real or is this not? Because you and I have heard stories of both. True? There are individuals truly down on their luck, have no place else to turn, and they've maybe attempted that. As well, there's other stories, other situations of people, and we're wondering, is this a scam? Is this not? Now, in that situation, it becomes hard to do the first step, which is ask questions. If you're in a vehicle at a stoplight, and there's five seconds, ten seconds as you pass, we don't necessarily have an hour to interview them. So now you're trying to use wisdom. What do you do? came across this story, I think it was about two weeks ago. It was a, uh, an automobile dealership in the Midwest. I forget which state it was. And there was an individual or two who were pretty much camped outside this busy street right in front of the car dealership. And this picture made the paper, it made the news, because the car dealership ended up making this large laminated sign that they put, they opened up the hood of one of their cars and placed this sign inside the hood and they parked the car on the corner and it said, do not give to these men. We offered them a job at $10 an hour to work for us. They laughed at us and said, I make more than any of you. Now, that was an incident a situation in that particular place. So you read that, you hear this, and you say, well, that's not true. What about this person? What about that person? We've got to use some wisdom, ask some questions. These Gibeonites, man, they were trying hard to sell it, weren't they? We've come from this very distant country. Oh, take a look at this bread of ours. How terrible this bread is. It was fresh. Our clothes and sandals were new. Our wineskins were brand new, and now everything is terrible. We've got to be careful and use some wisdom. Let's not jump to conclusions one way or another. Sometimes it's challenging to jump to conclusions. Let's check out this video. You might have seen this commercial in the last couple of years about not judging too quickly. AmeriQuest Mortgage, proud sponsor of the NFL. A little hard to see in that, but uh, the, the cat jumped into the spaghetti sauce, and as he holds it up, the cat is dripping with red, and in his other hand is, well, the knife that he was using to prepare his meal. It looked like he was pretty much slaughtering the cat. The challenge is we jump to conclusions, right? We see something, we hear something, and rather than asking questions, rather than trying to use wisdom that God's given us, we jump to a, well, it must be this or it must be this. Sometimes that's how rumors get started. Sometimes that's how gossip spreads. We see the last scene 
the guy holding up a cat that's red and a knife in the other hand, and we assume one thing when it's completely not. The Gibeonites were trying to fool Joshua and the Israelites by saying, hey, we're from this really, really far country. We've got to be careful about the stuff we see and hear. Also, we've got to be careful not to be taken in always by compliments. Did you see what, what took place in here? In a sense, it's almost as if they're trying to butter up Joshua and the Israelites by all of what they've heard about this incredible God. They're talking about, here's all the things that we've seen your God do. Now, they were careful to talk about the things that happened early on and not about the things that just happened. Because if they were, you know, truly from a far-off country, they would not have heard of all the stuff that had just happened. So they're being very crafty in their food, in their clothing, in the stories that they're telling. Everything that they're doing is geared to trying to give some compliments to say how we're going to be your servants. We came here to serve your God. Everything's kind of feeding Joshua and the Israelites to where they think, well, that sounds good to me. And they're not asking the full questions. They're not using all of the wisdom that God gives. Here's another important concept here under using wisdom. Know that hearing God's name mentioned is not always a guarantee that it's a God thing. Because they said, oh, we've come because of the fame of the Lord your God. They were talking long and hard about God and their reverence for him. But it was a deception. It was a manipulation, a plan to save themselves. Now, you ever been somewhere and you met a salesperson who found out you're a Christian? Found out that you go to church and all of a sudden their tune changes. Kim and I have had a couple opportunities uh, over the years. In one particular case, uh, we had gotten a free in parentheses, uh, I'm using air quotes, free three-day, two-night stay at a resort. It was a friend of ours who had one of those uh, travel packages or timeshares, and it was not free. We had to sit through a 90-minute seminar as they tried to sell us on buying a timeshare, but as long as we would sit through that, we got three days and two nights and maybe a, a meal or a show or something like that. We, we've had a, a couple of these little sales opportunities. And so you show up at the time they tell you to, you check in, and you're assigned a salesperson. And of course, they just chit-chat with you because, you know, we haven't started yet. So they're asking all these questions, and it's amazing. As soon as they hear that I'm in ministry that I'm a Christian, that I'm, that I'm working at a church. It's amazing how many church references, how many Bible references they attempt to toss out my way. And it's amazing all of these friends who also go to church and, and, and what this person says and what that person says, their entire thing is about God as they convince me and Kim to shell out thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars. Now, you've probably seen that in some other cases, whether it's a, a car salesman, whether it's this or that. I, I did sales in college, and I've, I've shown you some of my Cutco knives. 
But that's basic sales 101. They want you to identify with your customer. So simply because someone says, hey, I go to church too, doesn't mean it's a sign from God that you got to buy that thing. Simply because someone says, yes, I went to Bible study this week at such and such a church, doesn't mean that the next thing out of their mouth is God's will for you to do. We've got to be careful. Because many times we, we use these things and we say, well, they were a Christian, so it had to be for me. Can God use people? Yes, he can. Many times God can use that to kind of confirm or solidify what he's already been speaking to you and to your heart. But we've got to be careful. Just because somebody uses the word God or church or Christian, it doesn't always mean it's God's will. The Gibeonites, they were doing it hard. Yes, we're going to come across some godly Christians. I hope that God put some some good godly Christians in our path, whether that's for family or housing or business or jobs. But just because we come across somebody as a Christian doesn't always mean that it's God's will. So we've got to ask questions. We've got to use wisdom. James says if if any of you lack wisdom, we can go to God. So that's thirdly, we've got to seek God. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to get a pen, a pencil, a highlighter, a marker, because we've come to the key verse in chapter 9. You've got a digital, if you've got your phone or your tablet, then get your finger ready to highlight. Verse 14 is the key. It says, The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Asking questions is key. We've got to get information. It doesn't stop there. Using wisdom is key. God gives us wisdom and insight to try to you know, read people and sense what God's doing. But most importantly, it's seeking God. How critical is this? It says they sampled their provisions. They took a look at the bread. They took a look at their wineskins. They took a look at their clothing or their... Shoes, but they didn't go to God. If you and I want to know God's will, we must go to God. Why did they fail to consult with God? Why did they end up making the wrong choice or coming to the wrong conclusion? Well, maybe they thought the evidence was so strong. I mean, look at this bread. It really is musty. It's crusty. It's old. They told us it was brand new, so I must believe them. I mean, look at the evidence. Maybe they just thought it'd be foolish to ask any more questions. Maybe it just seemed so obvious. This is a a simple one, God. No sense worrying you about that. They made the treaty. They said they would spare their lives. They would not conquer them as they did some of these other lands. But the promise was not just to let them live. It's also this promise of protecting them if attacked. Hint, hint, chapter 10, they're going to have to protect them when attacked. 
We're going to see how that plays out in the next chapter. We must always seek out the direction of God. If we want to know what God's will is, we've got to seek out God. Until we've prayed, until we've sought God, we've not done enough. I could ask 101 questions, 1,001 questions. These are great questions. I can use wisdom and insight and knowledge, experience that maybe God's given to me from the past. Those are all good components. But until I've sought God, until I've prayed and gone to Him, I've not done enough if I'm wanting to know His will. We don't always, unfortunately, pray. We don't always seek God. Maybe we're impatient sometimes. No, 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 couldn't couldn't be that. It must be somebody else in another church, right? None of us in here are ever impatient. We smile at that. The fact is very true. We want what we want, and sometimes we want it now, so no need going to God. He might not answer me for a while, so I'll just say yes, or I'll just say no. We get impatient. Or we say, well, I know what I want to do, and I bet God's not going to agree. So I even bother going to prayer about it. He's probably going to say, no, I'm just going to go do it. It's one of those things where, you know, maybe we've been tempted to do something against God's will. We know it's clear. It's in black and white. God says, don't do this. We want to do it. So I'm not going to pray to God because he's going to tell me no because it's already here in his word. Many reasons why we don't go to God. Another one, I can handle it. I got this, God. I don't need to seek God because it's not that big of an issue. I think I can do this on my own. I'm sure we could, boy, we could take some time. We could come up with a whole bunch of reasons why, but the fact is many times we don't go to God. We've got to talk to God about our problems, about our situation, about how we need wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, ask of God. He will give it generously. But see, if we don't ask, we miss out. Let's read his word, read the Bible. There are promises and principles already in here. We say, God, how do you want... How do you want me to live in my relationships? Boy, there's some already God's word talks about how we interact with others and how we deal with others and how we treat others. There's already great principles here. Let's read it and seek it from God. Oh, God, how in the world do you want me to handle my finances? It's in here. Let's read and study and follow. But there's so many situations that we're not quite sure of, and we say, well, well, they didn't have this in the Bible days. They didn't have that in Bible days. So God, let's go to God and ask. Ask for wisdom. Seek God and his, his will. When we go to God in prayer, let's be sure to do some listening and not just do all the talking. God is sure to nudge and guide and direct. Understand that when we get some good opportunities or good offers, it doesn't always mean it's a God opportunity. They had this opportunity where they said, hey, we're going to be your servants. We'll do what you want. Well, that sounds pretty good. 
What could be wrong with that? They're going to help us out. They're going to be our servants. They're going to do stuff for me. That sounds like a good offer. It was not a God opportunity because it was against God's word. But they didn't seek God about it. Seek out God's peace. Seek out God's perspective. Seek out God's direction. Many, many times God will kind of give that guidance. and Sometimes it's the form of a nudge. Sometimes it's the form of, you know, slapping you upside the, upside the head. We think, oh, okay, I, I got you, God. Not every door that opens is from God. Not every opportunity is one we should barge through. Sometimes we have the tendency to walk by sight rather than by faith. Now, many open doors that we have are doors that God would lead us and guide us through. Sometimes some of those closed doors are opportunities where God says, not yet. But we take it to mean, no, never. And we walk away. Ask questions. Use our wisdom and seek God. Author Warren Wearsby wrote this. We don't seek God's will like customers considering, considering our options, but like servants listening for orders. We don't seek God's will like a customer serving value meal number one, two, three, four, five. We don't survey our options. Rather, he says it's like servants listening for orders. God, what do you want? As I seek after you, what is it you would have me to do? We ask questions, we use wisdom, we seek God, and then finally, this is a principle that's come up before in other chapters of Joshua, we've got to then trust God. The long passage at the end of this chapter is this. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephira, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. That's pretty important too. The decision they made, it was not God's will, but they were following through with that commitment. They said, we'll make this treaty of peace. We will not destroy you. We're not going to go back on that word, even though you're nearby. <laughs> and boy, we weren't supposed to do that. Verse 20 says, this is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore. They continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, why did you deceive us by saying, we live a long way from you while actually you live near us? You are now under a curse. You will never be released from service as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. 
So we feared for our lives because of you, and that is why we did this. Let's just stop right there. Another key verse. Isn't it scary how seemingly everybody but the Israelites knew what God's will was? The Gibeonites said, we were clearly told what God said. Now, Scripture doesn't share with us how they knew this. Did they hear it through some other nations? Did they hear that from the Israelites themselves? But they clearly knew God's instructions. They clearly knew that they were to wipe everybody out. They knew what God's word says. And they said, our only chance is to deceive you. You're going to be confronted with individuals. You're going to be confronted in situations where people seem to know God's word more than maybe even you might know. Are there people who are not Christians who know God's word? These Gibeonites were not godly at all, but they knew exactly what God's word and God's will was. They said, that's why we did what we did. Self-preservation. Israelites didn't go far enough to seek God. Verse 25, we are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites. They did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place that the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. They followed true to their, their pledge. They let them live, but made them workers, water carriers, wood cutters. They're going to provide for the needs of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. In other words, we're going to leave this up to God. We messed up. We're going to follow through with our pledge. But God, we're going to, we're going to trust in you in our future. Even in the midst of the situations and the consequences and the circumstances that we face, we must trust. That's hard. Because we want to trust ourselves that I can say or do this, I can make the situations right. But we've got to trust in God. Have we asked questions? Have we used the wisdom he's given? Have we most importantly sought God, his word, his will in prayer, some godly counsel of others that we trust and have input into our lives? Many times there's going to be consequences. You ever made a bad choice? Yeah, we have. Made a bad decision? Many times there's consequences as a result of that bad decision. We still need to trust God in the midst of that. If you walk into a store and you steal something and you're caught, many times there's consequences to pay for stealing. We can't just simply say, God, clean me and forgive me. He'll do that. But there's consequences as a result. Joshua and the Israelites, they knew they messed up. But there were consequences. And we're going to see those consequences in the next chapter. That would be your next homework assignment is to read Joshua chapter 10. It will be a couple weeks before we get to that. But they're going to need to live up to their word and rescue the Gibeonites who are going to be attacked. Ultimately, when it comes to God and to his will, trust God 
that he will work things out. Here's what we, we often think. We feel like when we mess up or if we mess up and we make the wrong choice, we're going to forever be on God's plan B and we're, we're always sort of second rate because I messed up. We feel as if maybe we're, we're always going to be kind of punished because we made a wrong choice or a, a wrong decision. Here's the good news. Nothing catches God by surprise where he says, oh, she did what? He chose what? Oh, now what am I going to do? God can still work and guide and help and assist us in our lives. Will we sometimes have some consequences to pay for our choices and for our decisions if we've not sought God and made a godly choice? Yes. But can we trust God in each and every step and each and every day forward in our lives? Yes, yes, we can. He desires to guide us. He desires to direct us. He desires to walk with and to be with us. God's not going to abandon us. God's not going to shoo us away. You made one bad choice or two bad choices, so I'm done with you. God wants us to seek him. God wants us to follow and obey him. We're going to have a lot of decisions to make. Lots of little bitty ones, but a whole lot of consequential, lasting ones. Most important, we've got to involve God in the process. Asking questions are great. Getting data and information, that's helpful, but don't stop there. Using wisdom and insight that God's given and, and maybe experience in our past years of life on this earth to say, well, I'm going to analyze those situations and use some wisdom to, to help have some insight, that's great too. But we can't stop there. We must seek God and then trust in God. Joshua and the Israelites, they struggled in these areas. You and I, with God's help, can make good decisions. Mm -hmm.